You're listening to the Sticks in the Six podcast. Here are your calls. Andrew Forbes, Peter Barrichini, and Alex Hoffman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 61 of Sticks in the Six. I'm your host, Andrew Forbes, here with my co-hosts, Alex Hobson and Peter Barrichini. Boys, a lot of Leaf talk, as always. The core four, how are they doing? Um, two goals by defensemen so far this season, and a little cachet and hall talk. But before we get into that, Alex... We got some ball hockey talk this week or what? Oh, buddy, do we have some <laughs> ball hockey talk? Yeah, Give us the download. Yeah, this, is your, this is your daily update on, on your uh, Division 12 men's ball hockey in, in Niagara. <laughs> Not to be confused with Division 22. Um, so this time last week, my update was that we won game one of our first round series and we're the underdogs, right? We're sixth seed, the other team's third seed. So – since then, two games have happened. Um, we played that same Tuesday, and we got shit kicked. It was we, – we, 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 we might have come in a little bit cocky, which we probably shouldn't have. It was uh, – we lost 6 nothing, and it was raining, and we were playing outside. And the, the, the material they use for the floors for these rinks is, like, some sort of rubber, so it was super slippery. And I, like, fucking cut my knee open, and it was looked like a scene from The Shining and shit. It was just a real tough game all around. Um, so anyways, that tied, tied the series up at one. And then heading into today's game, which was at four o'clock today, we had like three guys cancel on us last minute. And we went into that game with only two subs. So we had, we had like five forwards and, or sorry, uh, four forwards and three defensemen. And so it, we had a pretty thin bench and the other team had a full bench and it was shitty and rainy again. And we, we just came in with the lowest expectations, just like, all right, whatever, we'll just, let's play with pride and it'll be a good win. We won 6-2, and we are moving oh, on to the second oh, round. Oh. Those are the feel-good stories you want to hear, man. Team three going down, baby. Team three going down. The team that we defeated today, which I'll name drop, they're called the Rockwell Chiefs. They looked like the Leafs in game seven against Montreal. They were horrid today, and we went up 4 nothing in the first period, and I just knew, like, our, our goalie's probably our best player, so once he was making – he made a couple big saves early on, and once he did that, I knew that we were, we were good to go for the rest of the, rest of the day. So um, I'm going to have another fun update for you guys next week because uh, we're going into round two, and we're playing a team that I'd consider to be our biggest rival. There's some bad blood between these two teams. So we got game one on Thursday and then game two on Sunday, so we'll let you know how it goes then. I'm going to one-up on the Montreal comparison. I was going to say Leafs versus Penguins, 7-1. With no bench, no nothing, nothing to lose, just going in and playing your all. And that, to me, is the best feel this story. That's a good comparison, too. Beautiful. We look forward to the update next week. Uh, Peter, how is your week going? Ah, well, I really can't top that story because, like, holy crap, man, that that that's just an amazing story. And like, I'm my my week has been fine, but like, too many times when I was in beer league, we've had like so many times where we were down a short bench, we would lose games. But then there were times where we were just like, you know what? Yeah, what what? Why not? Why not? Why not pull out a W? And there are times where we were absolutely short bench, just like Alex's situation, and we came out with a win. And I'm, I'm actually going to 
this is actually approaching up to the anniversary of when this happened when I was in beer league. And I mentioned to you this to you guys last week as well, that I was going to tell the story. And I mentioned it to my buddy who I'm not going to, I'm not going to name drop him, but you know who you are. And I do appreciate this no matter what. Um, So when I started playing beer league, um, you know, it's been a while since I actually played. Um, But during that year I had, I had something called pleurisy where I had pneumonia and it developed into worse version as a result of that. So for a few weeks, I could not move. My whole entire right side was absolutely painful. Um, Couldn't get out of bed, couldn't move, couldn't do anything. And a lot of other gross things that happened, but I'm not going to mention it because it's going to turn off a lot of the viewers, but it was not fun. Uh, If if you've had pleurisy, it's definitely not fun. It's terrible, but there was some good news out of it. It was kind of like a early birthday present for me or belated birthday present because obviously I couldn't play, couldn't do anything. So my buddy who got suspended one week put my name down on the roster sheet, played as me, and then got me an assist when I wasn't even playing and he shouldn't have been playing. So he broke the rules. He just said, screw it. I don't care. He spelled my name wrong, but I don't care. And he just basically, and I still have the screen cap of the score Uh, sheet where it has my name written completely wrong, zero goals, one assist. And I'm like, hey, thanks for playing against me. And thanks for getting me that assist for, you know, no reason. I hope you frame that. Oh, I'm definitely going to frame it. I got to get it off my iPhone and then go to like a store to just be like, hey, I want this framed up. I was going to say uh, Big Apple from Peter Barcini sitting at uh, at home. (laughs) No, definitely. And I'm definitely, what I'm going to do is I'm probably going to get it signed by my buddy and just be like, hey, that's thanks, man. That's Peter Barracchini's evil twin, Peter Barcini. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Was it like The Simpsons with Barton Hugo? Oh Jesus! Oh, well, that's a that's a great story. Um, yeah, it's uh, that's always good when uh, I'm a rule breaker, so I like uh, I like seeing I like seeing those stories uh, come up. But uh, boys, I got to give a shout out to start this episode to the uh, the Oakville Curling Club. Um, oh, oh boy, this will be fun. <laughs> I don't I, I don't saw, know. If you I guys, saw this thread. I, yeah, I saw this thread. Anybody who follows me on Twitter. I mean, you saw the thread, um, you know, if you, if you follow me, you know, I'm a big Remembrance Day guy. My, my grandfather was a prisoner of war for three years after the Dieppe raid. Uh, he, he took part in that and, and was captured uh, by the German forces. And uh, so every year I drive down to Oakville and, um, you know, pay homage to him at the, at the Cenotaph in, in Bruce Square. Um, and every year I park at the Oakville curling club because it's a block away and, you know, you're there for about a half an hour on a day that in my opinion should be a national, uh, holiday. Um, anyways, this, this time around, it was the first time my son got to come with me. Um, first time that my, my wife got to come with me. So we got to go as a family and, and be there. My dad's a retired firefighter. So he, he normally marches, obviously this year, they did not have a parade again. Um, but normally he marches. So he was there in uniform. Um, and, uh, we lay a wreath for my grandfather. So I'm going to try and shorten the story for you, but we, pu- we pulled into a spot right on the very edge of the parking lot at the, the curling club. And this guy, I don't know, mid sixties comes up, rolls up in his Buick, whatever. 
rolls his window down and, and says to me, Hey, are you a curler? And I'm in the midst of putting my 17 month old in his stroller. Okay. And I said, no, I, you know, I'm just going down to the cenotaph to, to, uh, you know, take part in the celebration for, for the next half hour. And he says, then get out. And I, I kind of looked like I was taking a back and, you know, uh, wasn't really sure what to say, to be honest. But um, anyways, I, I was kind of steaming about it most of the day. Like, I, I'm a proud guy, right? Like, so you, you disrespect me in front of my family. You disrespect me in front of my son. And, and, and you know, it, it kind of hits me right in the, right in the gut. Right. So anyways, I, I moved yeah. the car. I did, you know, did the right thing was the, was the big man in that, in that situation. And, you know, anyways, I, I went on a Twitter rampage the following day. Okay. Yeah. I think I tagged the Oakville curling club about 15 times in five tweets. <laughs> I was just going to say my favorite part of that Twitter thread was how every single tweet in the thread, you were like, no, no, I'm, I'm holding you accountable. Oakville curling club. You know what? And, and I, I did. And I, it's, it's amazing what social media. Okay. Guys, social media can be used for so many good things. It can also be used for so many bad things. Okay. And um, anyways, I went on a, a complete rampage about how this, this guy uh, disrespected me. And I said, you know what? It was 1102 two minutes after the, the moment of silence and what are you doing curling on, on remembrance day as it is. So just basically yeah. threw him right out of the bus. Anyways, shout out to the Oakville curling club because they responded within, you know, 15, 20 minutes of me putting out this massive thread where I also may have, or may have not mentioned that I was going to pull this guy from his vehicle, maybe through the window, had my family not been there and given him a piece of my mind. Um, but anyways, regardless, they, they did, uh, they did get back to me and, and sent out a, a, a nice public message to their curlers that, you know, respect your neighbors because at the end of the day, that parking lot belongs to the town of Oakville. It doesn't belong mm-hmm. to the curling club. And, you know, it's, it's remembrance day. It's, it's a moment to remember, you know, people that have, or are still fighting for for our country and our freedoms. And yeah. I was, I, I honestly felt, I've never felt that disrespected. And I've, I've been disrespected in, in a number of situations. I've never felt that disrespected by a guy who is my elder and should understand that Remembrance Day is something that we celebrate in the way that we do, in the fashion that we do. Mm-hmm. So how much of I have to ask scum- the parking, sorry, go ahead, Peter. Oh, I was just going to say, like, how much of a scumbag do you have to be to say that, especially on Remembrance Day, too? Like, come on. Hey, is it pretty- like, I got to ask, was the parking lot full or was it, it, was it empty? It was, it, like, it was fairly full. Um, there were still a few spots. But, I, like, I'm telling you, I was, I was right on the side of it and where it leads into a road. Like, I was barely even in the parking lot, to be honest. And there was, like... I'll, t- I'll tell you right now, my dad was parked there. My sister was parked there. Like it's, <laughs> we've been doing it for 10 years. Right. You know, so this I gotta, my, my big, my big thing about that is it's like, I've been in that position before where I cannot find a parking spot to save my life. And I need one. And I illegally park in a, in a parking lot of some establishment that I have no plan on entering. So and I feel like everybody's probably been in that situation before. So it's like, I, I can't comprehend why this guy even felt the need to speak up. Like how miserable do you have mm-hmm. to be? Yeah. Seriously. Just let, let, let him like, and especially on remember it too. Like you said, like just, he should have just let you go about your day. 
Yeah, no, I, I, I'm honestly telling you boys, like it was great as a parent. It's a great teaching moment. Um, mm -hmm. you know, you turn, you turn to your kid and you just say, Hey, you, you want to be a good human being. That's not how you speak to people as, as a proud, <laughs> a very proud human being. <laughs> oh man. He's so lucky. My son was there. He is so lucky. My son was there. Cause I swear to God, that Buick hey, would have been a, a Fiat by the time I was done with it. <laughs> uh, Dare I say a smart car? It might've been a smart car. It may have been a smart car. Um, <laughs> anyways, Forks turns to his son. Hey, Oakley, that guy's a fucking asshole. Say it with me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm was, teaching your first swear word today, Oakley. I was steaming. You have my permission. Boys. I was steaming. Uh, I don't blame him. Oh, oh man. Anyways, boys, it was a good remember to say, uh, had a beer at the Legion like we normally do. And, and, uh, uh, big, big shout out to, uh, all the veterans, but especially my grandfather, Private Roy Forbes, who, uh, like I said, was a POW following the Dieppe raid and, and spent three years in a German camp. So, um, you know, every day is Remembrance Day for me, but uh, especially on, on November 11th. So, absolutely. With that, boys, let's get into our Maple Leafs talk. Um, I want to kick it off with the game against Buffalo. And I, I only want to do that because I, I wrote the takeaways piece for this and I got a comment on, uh, on, on the article about, uh, I wrote oh, your tannerism. Yeah. My tanner. <laughs> yeah. My tanner. No, I wrote that, uh, Justin Hall had a, had a very poor performance. Um, that was one of my takeaways that he just, you know, this guy's getting inserted back into the lineup and, and for me, he just didn't get the job done. I felt like Muzzin looked weak again uh, as his partner. Um, I felt that Hall just seemed scattered, uh, especially on those those two goals in the third period that were kind of back to back for Buffalo um, that tied it up. He just he he looked lost out there. And um, I got a comment back being like, you know, why can't you just take the win for for Joseph Wall and uh, forget kind of the negatives and and my response is this is a team that's exited in the first round in like how many consecutive seasons the only way to get better is to realize their faults and one of their faults is playing Justin Hall so Peter I want to throw it to you first your thoughts on Justin Hall coming back into the lineup but also his play against Buffalo I Ever since he came back into the lineup when they need uh, – I mean, ever since the game with the Philadelphia Flyers, right off the bat, he was struggling. Like, he had a poor clearing attempt and already, like, you know, 10, 12, 12, 15, 20 seconds in, he's already got a shot against, and it led to a high-danger scoring chance because of the turnover. Um, against the Calgary Flames – same scenario. It looked like he was getting beat a lot based on the speed of the flames and just didn't seem right. Same thing happened with the Buffalo Sabres. And I mentioned, and I tweeted this out too. I've, and you want, you want Justin Hall to succeed no matter what, like you want the best for him. It's just very difficult considering the fact that how did he have such a strong start to 2020, 21, and then halfway through just start to falter and, and it's been the same thing over and over again with this play. Um, poor decisions with the puck, uh, pinching up when he shouldn't be supposed to, leaving his defensive partner, getting caught in the uh, odd man rush going the other way. I mean, I, I, and, I, and I tweeted this out too. I mean, I, I was going to get to it before I got sidetracked. Is I've never seen 
someone make the simplest place look so difficult more than Justin Hall. And I mean, with the clearing attempts, with the amount of time that he has, he always panics with the puck. And, you know, for a guy that the Maple Leafs had faith in to protect him, two million, I mean, great value for a contract, but the play is just not there. I mean, if he was producing around maybe the same clip as Jake Muzzin and probably having the same performance as him, granted, he's had his ups and downs as well. But when Jake Muzzin is on his game, he's on his game. When Justin Hall, I mean, when he's supposed to be at his best, he's still not at his best. And that is concerning. And that's where maybe the Maple Leafs need to address. I mean, there was that whole uh, rumor last week from both Chris Johnson and Elliot Freeman, where there has been rumblings that the Maple Leafs are fielding offers on a defenseman. And who are you going to look at right now? You're not looking at Brody or Riley. You just signed Riley long-term. Jake Buzz is going to be a staple. Sandine and Lilligren are great. Who are the ones that are going to be the odd man out? Durbin and Hall. And you know, granted that he's making two million. I mean, even right now, he's not even living up to two million. He's not even living up to that contract. So it's like, what do you do from here? How, like, how can you how can you help him out? I mean, it's difficult because you would think that the five game absence or how many games he's missed during that time would probably be a wake up call. And it's still the same things over and over again with him. And it's and it's deeply concerning. Yeah, I mean. Alex, 10 games he's played this season. He's got a minus six rating and only six shots on net, uh, 29 years old. This is a guy, obviously against Buffalo, they talked about how Rasmus Sandin was, was you know, um, resting some bumps and bruises. And, and so Justin Hall is going to be the guy that slots in that situation. But with Rasmus Sandin a potentially healthy going into this week, um, is, is Hall the odd man out again? Like, is he, is he the guy that kind of is going to be floating in and out? And if so, at what point do you just say, you know, there might be better options for a guy that's going to be floating in and out of the lineup? First of all, thanks for clearing up that it was because Sandine was injured because until now I had no idea why they were sitting Rasmus Sandine for Travis mm-hmm. in that game. There was a lot really of confusion heading into that. And then a lot of people were concerned be like, well, why are you, doing this to Sandy when he's been yeah. so great. So, yeah, no, totally. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, honestly, the Leafs just got to be focused on icing the best possible lineup and icing the guys who will help them get wins and do the best job of it. And right now, you're not sitting anybody not named Justin Hall or Travis Dermott if you're doing that. I think, uh, think Dermott's been better than Hall this year, but I think those are the only two guys in this situation where you can really get away with sitting one of them because as far as I'm concerned, Timothy Lilligren's played himself onto the team. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. see any reason why he should be sitting now. He hasn't really had a, a bad game so far. Like he's had, his, he's had his issues here and there and, you know, makes mistakes just like any rookie defenseman would. But he overall has played better and outperformed Justin Hall and, and Travis, Dermott, Travis Dermott this year. So, um. I think if anything, until you get until one of them gets traded, you got to keep playing um, Lilligren in his role and shuffling Dermot and Hall in and out. And I think Dermot would get the edge in terms of playing time, just because he's been better than Hall this year. But yeah, at this point, it should it should really just be down to those two guys because you got to be icing the best possible lineup, like you said, and fact of the matter is having Justin Hall and Travis Dermott in there at the same time 
I wouldn't say that's the best possible lineup at this point because Lilligren wouldn't be in there or Sandine wouldn't be in there. One of those guys. And obviously the other three aren't getting benched anytime soon. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think the bumps and bruises for Rasmus Sandine are reasons why it's good that we still have Justin Hall on the team and we still have Rasmus Sandine because, you know, guys will get, they will get hurt sometimes. They'll get tripped up and they'll have bumps and bruises, just like you're saying. And you got to have a guy that's ready to step in. And while Hall, it's good to have him there, you're right. He, he, he hasn't looked great lately. And, you know, I think obviously his play this year can somewhat be attributed to, I remember hearing that he had a sickness this summer or something and he lost a mm-hmm. ton of weight. And, you know, should that be the case, it's obviously unfortunate. You wouldn't wish that on anybody. And I, I yeah. it is tough to see him, his play regress to that point. But um, in the end, like, like I've said a million times already, you got to put the best possible team out there. The Leafs aren't really in a position where they got to be, you know, banking on Travis Dermott or Justin Hall to find their games just because for like, for example, Hall's making 2 million, you just got to get the best lineup out there. And um, I think Justin Hall uh, is probably the seventh defenseman out of those seven right now. And if, so if you got to get him in there, take Travis Dermott out, but not nobody else. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think at this point it's, it's come down to uh, a spot where Justin Hall's got to earn his, his spot in the lineup again. I mean, you're talking about a guy who over 146 games played for the Leafs. He's got 41 points. So he's clearly not a guy that they rely upon for offense. Um, so if that's the case, like he's got to be one of the, the best guys in the defensive end. And, and, quite frankly he's he hasn't been that i mean i don't know if you guys saw him on that fourth uh, buffalo goal where he just he he kind of tried to play the puck in behind the net and um yeah. misplayed the puck gave it away the puck went back to rasmus Dahlin, and when it did he he kind of just floated out in front and the puck grazed him and went past uh joseph wall and to me that just shows not so much a lack of caring but a lack of commitment to the play. And if you're a guy who's only putting up, you know, 40 some odd points in, in 150 career games, you're a guy that, you know, should be focusing on your defensive game. And, and to me, it's just not there. It's, it, he, he's a, he's a liability in his own end. And uh, I mean, you mentioned it, Peter, he's, he's kind of a liability in the offensive end in the way that he tries to pinch on some plays where maybe he shouldn't be pinching. So, mm-hmm. I, I agree with you, Alex. I think he's right now he's the seventh defenseman. And as soon as Rasmus, Rasmus Sandin's healthy, you got to get him back in and, and get Hall out. I, I just, I, I find that he's been, I mean, he, he almost makes me nervous to watch Leaf games because he just makes some really silly plays. Um, but that said, I, I think the Leafs defense really has to start figuring it out uh, offensively. Um, Morgan Riley's game winner against Buffalo was just the second goal this season by the, the Leafs defense core. Uh, it was, I believe they are in last if I, if I'm right in the league in terms of defensive scoring. So Alex, is there, is there a simple solution here or are we talking about, you know, moving, moving maybe a, a major piece on the back end to try and get some offense from that defense core? I, you know, to be completely honest, I don't think it's enough of an issue that you'd have to make a trade to address it. Because if, if that's the case, who are you moving out of the defensive core? Besides, obviously, like we just talked about moving on from Justin Hall or Travis Dermott or something like that. But, you know, in moving those guys, are you really going to get somebody who's going to bring that kind of value to the back end? That's, that's basically where I'm at with it. 
And you know what? The Leafs defensive core doesn't have to do a bunch of goal scoring for me to be content because as long as TJ Brody's back there breaking up two-on-ones with his little stick swing like he does, and as long as Jake Muzzin's being a physical physical presence on the back end, as long as Riley can score every now and then, and as long as Timmy and Rasmus are kind of stabilizing the play and being mobile and playing the way they are, I mean – it's, I don't think it's really that much of a dire need. It's a little bit of a concerning trend to start the season, I'd say, just considering that they've only gotten two goals from their defensive core. But I don't think it's going to be like that all season. Peter, it's uh, it's a situation where, you know, this is a team that, you know, Morgan Riley's been known for his offense. Um, TJ Brody, like Alex mentioned, known for his little stick swing. Reminds me a lot of when McCabe had that can opener and was allowed to use it. It's kind of his signature move, but Muzzin, you're you're looking at a defensive guy. Do we are we maybe looking to Sandine and Lilligren to to try and find ways to get the offensive or off their offensive game going rather, um, or should we be concerned about it? I mean, we're we're what 15 games in, so is this is this really concern right now for the Leafs, or are they just looking for scoring from wherever they can get it? I, I think you just want to try and get scoring from wherever you could get it, whether it is Sandine, Lilligren, Riley, Buzzin. It, it, as long as you get, you're getting production from the back end, that's all that matters. And just looking at the numbers from last year, Toronto, Morgan Riley led the Maple Leafs in goals of five, but overall amongst defensemen, that only puts them at 42nd overall. In terms of goals, in terms of points, Morgan Riley was, uh, you know, top 20 with 35. So my thing is, it's the fact that they, I'm going to try to word it properly. It's not the fact that they can't put up the points. They can put up the points for me this year. And even last year was the fact that too many times they're just passing up prime opportunities to shoot. And even looking at natural statric right now at some of the numbers, like they're on for a lot of shots for and scoring chances for against when they're on the ice. But to me, too many times when I'm watching the game and I see Jake Muzzin have the puck and I see Morgan Riley and TJ Brody, they hold onto the puck for like an extra two, three seconds looking for that perfect passing outlet to try and, you know, get something going and great. You want to do that, but, why would you do that when you have an open lane to get the shot off for a good tip in front or a rebound opportunity? So that way that puck can get you a goal. You know, I mean, we just saw it previously the other game in Buffalo where Riley had a good, had a good lane, had a good view to shoot it, shot it, tipped in by John Tavares in front of the net. And then we saw the same thing where he has the puck. He had that little stutter, but he got it off quick and it led to the game winning goal. So they need to have confidence in their shooting because I think that they're still trying to pass it too much from the back end and they're not shooting enough. And the, the difference is, you mentioned Sandy and Lilligren, they're shooting at every chance that they get. They're patient with the puck, but if they have an open lane, they're shooting it. And to me, it, as even if the goals weren't coming, as long as they were shooting, that to me is a big difference maker and a big X factor for the defense going forward. Have confidence in the shooting. Peter, I'm about to kill two birds with one stone or as Ricky from trailer park boy says, get two birds stoned at once. Here. Yes. With, uh, <laughs> uh, with, with this, I'm going to combine your point with the last point we were just talking about picture. Perfect example of that. 
I don't know if you saw Justin Hall's one rush, and thankfully it didn't lead to a goal, but I think mm-hmm. he came in on a three-on-two, and he was carrying the puck down the right side, and he winds up for a slap shot and then does the little Jason Spets a fake and ends up taking it behind the net, and then he lost the puck, and it, it led to a two-on-one yeah. with Jake Muzzin back. Exactly. And it's just like – it's little things like that where it's like, dude, if you put it on net there – and, and, you know, I – and not to fucking compare this to my ball hockey team, but this is what I always tell my teammates. I always say, you know, the goalies can only be as good as you let, as you let them be. Um, you put the puck on net or you put the ball on net or whatever, and it either goes in or it creates a rebound opportunity or they cover it up and you get no zone faceoff. Like, just shooting it on net is – and you know what, maybe I'm just bringing this up and talking about it because there's been so many instances this year where I think we've all been screaming at our TVs saying, shoot, shoot, shoot the puck because they, they love cycling the puck around and circling it and going for the pretty passing play, but shooting the puck can just be so crucial. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like a captain obvious statement considering we're a hockey podcast talking about this, but I mean, come on. It's I mean, too many times that I have seen, again, and may, mainly with Morgan Riley on the power play too, You, if he's supposed to be the quarterback, take the shot. I mean, great, you have, you know, Marner down low. You have Matthews and Nylander on the flanks along the boards. Great, but again, you have the shot. Take the shot. I mean, it, it's it's just common sense, like you said. The crazy part about this is that it's it's not something that's new to the Leafs. Like, if you guys watched them in the late '90s, early 2000s, when they had Thomas Caverlay, um, yes, he was the quarterback yes. of the the power play, right? And and the big thing for him was he did not shoot the puck, and and yet he had an incredible shot. Mm-hmm. Like when he did shoot, it created scoring chances, like like crazy. Um, and, and they seem to be going back to that in in a sense that it's like. It's not just the Leafs' defense. It's everybody. Everybody's trying to make that extra pass. Marner's trying to make that extra pass. Um, Matthews might be the only guy that's willing to shoot the puck. And Riley, like, give I'll give Riley credit. He he's he's an incredible player. But my biggest issue with Morgan Riley is that he cannot get the puck through an opponent. For yeah. whatever reason, it's like a magnet in the shin pads of the opponent in front of him. Or skate, he fires stick. it right in front, right into their shin pads. Mm-hmm. If he can Tyson get that Barry shot, it, it, honest, honest to God, it, it, if he can get start getting that shot through, we're talking about a, a totally different power play. We're talking about a totally different team, and we saw what happened when he gets that puck through. It was a bit of a flutter shot, but regardless, he got the puck on net, and you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. Somebody, somebody great said said that I think, but. Wayne Gretzky, uh, Michael Scott. Yeah, Wayne Gretzky, <laughs> Michael Scott. That's right. Uh, but you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's it's one of those things that seems, uh, you, you said it, Alex, it seems so simple. But when they're in the moment, it's like you're making that extra move to try and get around the, oppo- the opponent and get that open open lane. And, and meanwhile, just take a quick wrister and, and keep it low. The chances of it getting tipped are are like higher than the chance of you getting it through when you try and make that last move. It's interesting that you brought that up, getting the shots through, because I'm, I, I just went over to the hockey reference right now. They have a stat called shots through percentage, amount of shots or shot attempts that went on goal. Morgan Riley's right now is at 53%, and he only cracked that once in 2018-19 when he had that 70-point season. So I, I – 
I mean, the numbers can't lie. I mean, he's getting 53% of his shots through, but at the same time, it's just, I thought that number probably would have been lower based on, you know, like you said, the amount of shots and the quality of shots and the timing that he has with his shot, it just didn't quite add up, which is, you know, why I'm, you know, starting to scratch my head is it, 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 again, like you said, he has a good shot. It's just, finding the right time and that extra second is going to be a major deal breaker on that back end. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, and part of what we've been talking about is the, the least power play, which fortunately for them, um, something that they lost during last year's playoffs has started to click a little bit more under, under the new power play coach. Um, currently they sit seventh in the league with 25, 25% power play percentage. Um, really it's it's going to be a key for whether or not they can kind of push this season to the next or take the next step in this season uh, alex i want to get your your feeling on on the power play setup that they have um but is is morgan riley the right guy to be the, the quarterback on this power play i know he just signed the long deal i know he's kind of been the guy that's been there but he, is he the right guy to have at the back end when all you want is is shots on the power play I would – that's a really tough question because I think Riley's skating style and his game in every aspect outside of his shot fits the power play perfectly. He's mobile. He can cycle the puck around. He can make great passes. But like you said, it's just his inability to get the puck on net through traffic. And at the same time, that, that, uh, you'd, you'd kind of beg the question, would the Leafs benefit from having like a booming slap shot on the power play? The only, one of, the only defenseman I can really think of that has that booming slap shot is Jake Muzzin. And even him, he doesn't use it too, too often. So the problem with that is Muzzin's offensive instincts, I don't know you can really justify having him on the power play unless you simp- exclusively plan on using him for his slap shot there. And I think – Rasmus Sandin can act as sort of a little bit of a hybrid between Riley and Muzzin because I think he's got a better shot. I think I, uh, between the two, I've liked Sandin's shot more than I've liked Riley's. And I think he's got the mobility to kind of cycle the power play a little bit. So I think I'd like to see Sandin start getting some reps on PP1. Um, having said that, I don't know if I'd agree without right removing Riley from the power play because like I said, he's probably got the best ability of anybody on that defensive core when it comes to being mobile and cycling the puck and making sure that the flow, um, the flow stays consistent throughout the entire thing. So I don't know if I'd agree with removing him from the power play completely, but I do think that he should probably see some time on PP two because I'd like to see what Rasmus Sandin can do um, with the big guns on the top unit. Yeah, Peter, uh, I'm going to throw it to you because I, I tend to be in agreement with, with Alex. I'd like to see a little bit more of Rasmus Sandin. I think he, he, gets those slap shots away a little bit better. He gets them through a little bit more often. Uh, but what are your thoughts on the least power play so far this season? Yeah, I mean, Russell Sandy would definitely open up the game a lot more with his speed, awareness, and just his, just his hands in general. I mean, able to make moves in tight, draw opponents in, and then get the puck off quickly. I think that would be a really big factor going forward for the power play. But, yeah, I mean, you know, the first two games, it looked like things were going well. They got a power play goal against Montreal, two against Ottawa. But then they went really cold for six straight games, and then they went hot again with seven goals in seven goals out of the eight games that were seven games with a power play goal out of the eight that they played right after that. 
And the only game without one was against the Calgary Flames. And, you know, their defense was very stifling in that game. So, you know, hats off to Calgary for shutting the Maple Leafs down for that. But, yeah, I, I just think overall, I mean, you see at times when they're simplistic in their play, it's going to benefit them in the long run. I think time, too many times upon zone entries, it's a little bit slow, a little bit disorganized, quite a bit actually. And then there are times where it's like the best in the league, where it should be given the fact that, you know, you have Matthews, you have Nylander, you have Tavares, all of them combined together account for eight power play goals already. So you have your three top players right there doing work already. Um, I, I just, I, I just think that, you know what, the fact that you have both Nylander and Matthews on the flanks right now. And I, I said this at the beginning of the year too, having Nylander on that wing is going to pay dividends for the team because he can be a pass or a shoot option. And we saw basically what happened against the Calgary flames where, you know, it, it, it was essentially Andre Kasha or not, not Andre Kasha, but um, it was a game against Buffalo where Buffalo, Philadelphia, geez, what's wrong with me? Um, too many games. Um, basically, you know, puck is in the corner. I, I have a really good chance. Mario gives it to Matthews. Matthews passes it to Nick Ritchie. Nick Ritchie just gets it off and Nylander's wide open for that one timer to get it past Carter Hart. That to me is if the that because you have that setup down low, you could pass it over to William Nylander. You could do the same thing for Austin Matthews. If that puck is in the le- uh, left wing, give it to Austin Matthews on his, uh, on his off wing for one time as well. So you have that dynamic right there. You have those two scoring threats that no matter where that puck is going, it's, it's going to go on net and chances are it's going to go into the back of the net because they both have powerful shots. And even though it was at five on five, I believe with that Kasha goal, I mean, everyone thought that William Nylander scored, but Kasha tipped that in. So either way, regardless, five-on-five power play, having that one-timer Nylander shot, along with Matthews, it's going to be very deadly from here on out. And I think that was the missing factor from last season and this season as well. Yeah, no, I I mean, I couldn't agree more. I think it's nice to see that the Leafs' power play is clicking. Um, And again, it comes down to shooting. I think the biggest problem over the last little while is that they're trying to make that extra pass. Mm-hmm. Um, don't get me wrong. I, I'm a huge fan of Mitch Marner, but his biggest issue is making that extra pass. And sometimes that bites them in the ass because, you know, realistically you want four or five shots per power play. Um, and, and chances are in those four or five shots, you're going to get a good opportunity. Um, and, and let's face it, the Leafs have the offensive players to, to, to do damage on the power play. They've got a Matthews. They've got a Nylander, two, two key shooters. You've got a guy like Tavares who's willing to stand in front of the net and get some of those grimy goals like a Thomas Holmstrom used to get in, in Detroit. Um, and, and you've got a Morgan Riley who, when he can get that puck through, has one hell of a shot. The, the problem is he needs to get the puck through. And, and if you get it there – I mean, there, there's so much opportunity in front of that net. So it, it is good to see the success. The key is going to be for the, whether or not this team can continue to have that success throughout the year and into the playoffs. Um, but one of the biggest things so far this season, and especially recently, I, I know we talked about it a little bit last podcast, naming off like 13 straight goals by the Leafs core four. Are we not 
getting enough from the depth scoring. Um, Peter, I'll, I'll throw it to you. I know in recent games we've seen a little bit more from Andre Cache. Um, you know, Michael Bunting got in on it against Buffalo, but are the Leafs maybe looking at their their bottom six and wondering what they need to do to get them going? Yeah, and, and the big thing for me is you want to have that balance regardless. I mean, great that the top line – I mean, let's face it, the top line wasn't firing on all cylinders to start the season, and the depth scoring was taking over. Great. People were complaining about that. Now that the fact that, you know, the top four is going, we're not getting enough from our depth scoring. And I get and I get that, you again, that can be a bit of a problem. But at the same time, I think we have players that have been known to, you know, step up and score in key moments. And basically, in that game against Buffalo, before Morgan Riley got the game winner, three out of the four were from death players. Kasha, Spezza, no, not Spezza, um, Kasha, Camp, Bunting, sorry. Um, so you, they, they have the ability to chip in offensively every now and then. And that, to me, is going to be big going forward. And you know what? The fact that the, this core four is now hot, with Nylander on a tear, Matthews is getting comfortable. John Tavares is already looking good from the beginning of the season on. I mean, it can be a problem later on because once they're cold and the bottom six isn't scoring, who's going to carry the offense? You're going to have to really scour to find someone who could score you a key goal. But I don't think it's going to be a big problem. I think the fact that, you know, the bottom six has generated a lot of chances. Kasha and Kampf looked really good together. Spezza Simmons on that fourth line looked really comfortable. I think it's just finding more consistency from other players. I think you need to get a hell of a lot more out of Pierre Engbo, who hasn't scored since the first game on the power play against Montreal. Um Wayne Simmons, despite him being snake bitten, he's getting a lot of chances and I really do hope that he gets rewarded soon because it, during that whole entire homestand, he could have had about at least five or six goals at least, especially in the game against Tampa. He could have had like two or three good ones. So, I mean, I, 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 I want to say that it, it's not really a problem, but it can lead to one. But at the moment right now, I think that if the depth scoring can find that balance, I think it's it, it's going to be a non-issue from here on out. Alex, simple question. Are, are the Leafs getting enough from their bottom six? I mean, okay, here, I'll give you a simple answer to that simple question. <laughs> Maybe not, but they're eight. Sorry, I'm going to restart that. I fuck it. That, that sentence just stopped halfway out of my mouth. I'm going <laughs> to give that one another shot. <laughs> um, simple answer. The bottom six has been kind of quiet lately, but the Leafs have won eight of their last nine, so who cares? <laughs> Honestly. like, And you know what? It, I, I think it would be a little more of a concern if they had only won five of their last nine or something like that, and it's like, okay, maybe if the bottom six had shown up in, in four of those other games, maybe the Leafs' record would be looking a lot better. But, I mean, the Leafs are winning right now. They're one of the hottest teams in the league. I, I, I have a hard time really, really getting nervous about the, the bottom six's lack of production because for the first, you know, six, seven, eight games of the year, the big burning question was what the hell is wrong with the top six? And the bottom six was doing all the work. So I think this is just one of those things where this team's just, they're getting into the rhythm. They're kind of working certain kinks out. The top six has figured it out now. The bottom six, I mean, like Peter, you were saying, we saw on Saturday 
uh, absolute snipe from David Kampf. Um, we, we, we saw a goal from Andre Kasha there, Michael Bunting. So the, the depth scoring, the depth is starting to score again. And the Leafs have been doing a lot of winning lately. So I, I just have a hard time really looking at that as a concern. Now, if we, if we get say a third into the season or, you know, halfway into the season and it's off, it's evident like on the score sheet that the bottom six has not done enough, then maybe you start to worry and say, okay, maybe this is something that Dubas has to address at the deadline. But as of right now, I, I don't think there's anything to worry about. That wasn't really as much of a simple answer as I originally anticipated. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, it is, and it's worth noting too that like Ilya Mikheyev will come back at some point too, and add add that little extra oomph to the the bottom six as well. I mean, this is a guy who, prior to that wrist injury, and we talk about that all the time, is that you know he he had some incredible offensive opportunities, right? And and now, I mean, it's just about finding those tools again like he he's got the speed he has the the stick handling he has the hockey iq he just needs to be able to 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 find that finish again and and all of a sudden you've got another guy in your bottom six that can be a legitimate goal scorer so i i'm i'm with both of you i think there's 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 reason and and room for concern if if this continues for the you know the majority of the season but at this point i mean you're talking about a 15, 20 game stand where, you know, maybe, maybe the bottom six doesn't, doesn't put up incredible numbers, but at the end of the day, that's not what they're there for. That's why you have the core four in the first place. That's why you're paying that kind of money to those guys. So uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't think it's cause for, for concern right now. I think it's something that certainly Dubas will keep an eye on and, and, you know, address it if, and when he needs to address it. But one guy in that bottom six, that, did jump up to the first line is Andre Kasha. And, you know, we talked in the preseason on what he was going to bring to the lineup. And, you know, obviously a guy who was a previous 20 goal scorer um, back in 2017, 18 with, with uh, Anaheim, he's had some injury issues. Uh, obviously only played three games last year with Boston already four goals in 16 games, five points to boot. Is Andre Kashe going to be a 20-goal scorer for the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, Alex? I think so. And a couple things that I want to say about Andre Kasha. First of all, I am going to self-proclaim myself as an oracle because <laughs> I tweeted before the game on Saturday. I Actually, I think I tweeted days it ago. before. Yeah, I tweeted it before the ago. game against Calgary. So I wasn't a direct oracle. But I tweeted said that I wanted to see Andre Kasha get a look in that top six, specifically next to Matthews and Nylander. And that is what we saw on Saturday night. So um, I was very happy to see him in that role. And obviously he did great. And another thing that I want to say about Andre Kasha, that's really, really helped me gain a whole new level of respect for him this year is man, is that guy ever a motor on the ice? Oh, and you know incredible. what? Everybody, everybody was saying that, you know, there's this injury concern about Andre Kasha because he can't stay healthy. And after watching him play, I can see why he can't stay healthy. And I don't think it takes away from his value at all because the reason he gets hurt so much is because he tries so hard. He plays so I hard. Think he might, I, I think he's the fastest fastest skater on the team right now with, with Mikheyev not being on the ice. Honestly. Like, I think he puts his... Sorry. I was just going to say, I think I said this last week where like, he's the fastest leave I've seen since uh, Michael Grabner. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You did say that. That's right. 
And it's just watching him play and watching him go out there and thrive in whatever role he has. I saw him play some great defensive hockey on that third line next to David Kempf. And obviously you put him on the top line and he scores in his first game next to Matthews and Nylander. And holy shit, what a goal it was too. What a shot. At angle you know, too. Yeah. And it's just, he's just, a, I, I, he, I saw something about him and I don't remember what the exact stat was, but the whole premise of it was that he basically generates an incredible amount of good shots. Like we always talk about how the Leafs get goalied so-and-so. And like, I remember I've said a couple times that the Leafs don't always get goalied per se. They just, they, they pepper a lot of shots, but none of them are really high danger shots. A lot of the shots that Andre Kasha takes are high danger shots. Mm-hmm. And he's better at generating that than anybody else. So to answer your question, Forbes, I think as long as he gets into a rhythm, a rhythm and stays healthy, I can absolutely see him getting 20 goals because he has the ability. And, you know, I said in a tweet last week as well, I don't understand why Sheldon Keefe or Spencer Carberry, whoever makes this decision, I don't understand why the Leafs coaching staff insists on putting Engvall on the second power play unit instead of Kasha. Because I think Kasha could do some serious damage on that second unit. I think he's got a very underrated shot. and He's got great offensive instincts. So I've been – I'm glad he – kind of got the monkey off his back. He, he was in a bit of a slump ever since his first goal against San Jose. And I'm glad that he broke out of that slump because he's been doing a lot of scoring lately. And I think the Leafs need more of that. Okay. So first I'm going to say to your Oracle comment, both of you have had lineup suggestions that within two games after you guys said it have happened with the Leafs. So I'm going to go with, with Alex here and say that within the next two to three games, we're going to see Kashe on, on the second power play unit. I, I just have this feeling. I think, I think they listen to the podcast. <laughs> I think they take our suggestions, and I think it's working. So let's, let's run with that. Sheldon Keefe just finishes up his press conference after the game. He goes home, he lays in bed, and he just plugs in six and six and six and just lays in bed. <laughs> that's, says, that's, right. his, that's his alarm it's every like, morning, sticks in the oh, six. Oh, man. I will it's, just, yeah, it's, it's just like his, he's rubbing a genie lamp. He's like, all right. Oh, Andrew, Alex, and Peter, tell me, what do I do with this lineup next? Magic eight ball. Or I magic, yeah, why did I second? say a genie lamp? I don't know why I said genie lamp. <laughs> two, two very different things. Magic eight uh, ball. Or magic I, conch if you're a SpongeBob fan. The conch. Sorry, Peter. Uh, but, yeah, I, I mean. The conch. The, the crazy thing is that. With it, it seemed with that that tip in that he had the other night that the confidence just started to boom inside of him. Like it, it was like you know his celebration after his goal against Buffalo. Like he, the way he put his arms up, he knew like he's got it again. He's got that touch again. And 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 Peter, I'm going to throw it to you. Like not only does he have the potential to be a 20 goal scorer, but he has the potential to be a, a legitimate piece in their in their top six moving forward if. He can continue to play with that, you know, kind of prowess and stay away from the injury bug. Yeah, um, I, I was just also going to say that um, once Ilya Mikheyev comes back and they manage to keep Andre Kasha on that third line, that is going to be one speedy third line with Kasha, David Kamp's underrated speed, and then you throw Ilya Mikheyev on that wing. Because let's face it, when Mikheyev comes back, I honestly think that Pierre Engvall is going to see a lot of time in the press box. We saw Keith with his discouragement and some of his plays that he made last year. Again, we're seeing some inconsistencies this year, how sometimes he's 
you know, letting up on like an opportunity, um, not being engaged physically. Then again, the whole team isn't being engaged phys- physically. So I, 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 just a little forefront note on that. If that's, if McKay comes back, that's going to be one deadly third line. And yeah, with, with Andre Kasha right now, I mean, he's making 1.25 million. Honestly, I would, based on what I've seen right now, I would probably sign him to an extension at maybe just maybe averaging 1.5, maybe 1.75 per year over three years. Cause this is going to be a really valuable contract, a really valuable player. Alex go. I was just going to say one more thing to add <laughs> to your point there, Peter. And I just realized this yesterday, the Leafs actually own Kasha's RFA rights. After there you this go. Year. Mm-hmm. Not UFA rights. So they have, they've got a little, little bit of an advantage when it comes to re-signing him. So anyways, yeah, I just wanted to put that out there. No, definitely. Yeah. And yeah, he's uh, arbitration eligible. So basically um, the Maple Leafs could give them, a, a, if they could give them a deal right now that they see fit, why not sign him? I mean, I, I, I'm sorry, Andrew, what was your initial question again? I lost my track after that. <laughs> I, it's it's honest, that kind I, of episode. I, I don't think I threw you a question. I think I was just looking for your thoughts on, on how Kashi's oh, played this. Uh, this just season. overall. Okay. Um, well, if that's, if that's the case, then great. Um, yeah. Um, given the fact that like we saw him on that line with Austin Matthews and Nylander, I, I, not to say that Michael Bunting had lost his touch, but he, he, he was going in there. It's just about bounces were going his way. The, now that Andre Kasha has three goals in three straight games, we saw that, you know, quick shot against the Philadelphia Flyers with that nice play from Alexander Ker- Kerfoot. And uh, Alex, like he said, in the game against Buffalo, you saw his emotion. You also saw his emotion in that game, in the game against Calgary, that he's getting that goal scoring touchback. And that's going to be huge for the team going forward. Um, yeah, maybe there was talks of I, I saw something that there was talks that maybe they were trying to get a top six forward again this time around. To be honest, you have Andre Kasha right now that's possibly going to be a potential 30, 20 goals. I was going to say 30 goal score, 20 goal score. You never know. It could be 30 goal score. If he's going to play on that top line. Yeah, there's a good possibility that that could happen. Um but yeah, I mean, I, I just absolutely love what he's brought. I mean, I, when I wrote the breaking news about him and Nick Ritchie, obviously I had more high hopes for Kasha. I, I actually had high hopes for both. I was hoping that Nick Ritchie would take a major step. Obviously, he's got um, his own uh, issues that he needs to work around. But Andre Kasha, I knew, was going to be a great signing because of the fact that Alex mentioned he can generate a lot of quality shots. He has known to put the puck in the net. He has the speed. He has the aggressiveness and the size to go in and establish a forecheck. So to me, he has the whole package and that kind of not necessarily killer instinct that the Maple Leafs wanted to address, but he has that drive. He has that motor, like you said. And I think it's going to be huge for them going forward. I'm glad you brought up Kerfoot because I think he's gotten a little bit of a, you know, a tough ride so far this season, but I did see a tweet. Uh, I, I want to say it was from actually, yeah, from, from Sunday we're early, early morning, Monday at this point, but from Sunday, Kerfoot has 10 points in 16 games this season, eight points in his last eight. None of his points have come in the way of power play. And he is currently on pace for career best 51 points, all even strength. Yeah. 
that to me was incredible. Um, I mean, you're talking about a guy who, you know, we, we were talking in the off season about whether or not he was going to be part of the Seattle expansion. And, and now all of a sudden you've got a guy who's on pace for career best. Yeah. It's only 51 points, but it's, it's 51 points for a guy who, you know, none expected him to be a part of this team. So, uh, and, and all even strength. So, I mean, mm-hmm. that to me is, is pretty incredible, but um, yeah, I mean, Kashe, like, I wouldn't mind seeing him put up 20 goals again. I think the injuries have really hurt and sidetracked his career. I think he was he was off to a great start with uh, with Anaheim when he first came in. I remember, you know, fantasy leagues, Kasha was the guy to have in his early, early couple of seasons. But, um, yeah, I mean, what he's been able to do so far in Toronto, he's, he's kind of built that confidence back up. Uh, you know, Alex, you mentioned David Kampf and, and what – his his incredible one on four goal that he had the other day, where he <laughs> slid under th- the what two players to get it in the net, but um, confirmed better than McDavid's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the Leafs have a solid third line, and that's exactly what you need. I mean, look at Tampa when when they had their their depth scoring. It was it was Coleman, Goudreau, and, and Yanni Gord. That was their third line. Um, you need that production, and and I think if and when McKayev comes back and you move Kasha down to that third third line, I mean, you're talking about a, a pretty impressive third line. Um, so it, it, it'll be interesting to see what he does, but he's turned it on as of late, and, and that's the depth scoring that we kind of talked about against the core four. So um, one last note that I wanted to mention for the, for the Maple Leafs, Joseph Wall played his first game in Buffalo. He was drafted in Buffalo by the Leafs in 2016. And he, along with Austin Matthews, remain the only two picks that the Leafs had from the 2016 draft. Got his first victory. Um, probably deserved a little bit better. But one of the notes I, I, I made in the takeaways piece was that, uh, you know, mechanically he was phenomenal. Side to mm-hmm. side, he, he had the movements down pat. He pushed off great, uh, covered the net well. Um, I would have liked to see a little bit more Donovan Koshik in him where, you know, (laughs) the reaction time may be a little bit better. I think he was almost overly mechanical in the sense that, you know, pushing off post to post, I would have liked to see him dive across for one of those goals, uh, and maybe have a, have a better chance at stopping it. But, um, Peter, let's get your thoughts on Joseph Wall to, to start. Yeah, you, you just basically covered what I was going to say about his game overall. He was very solid in that, very sturdy. I mean, the first goal, I mean, you mentioned about the reaction time. I think he could have been a little bit quicker. Then again, it went behind the net and went straight to Jeff Skinner for the wide open net. I mean, that that was a very difficult save for him and possibly one that, you know, it, it was a difficult situation, but you he if he had that a bit of a more – awareness that he knew that that puck was going wide he maybe could have gone over to the other side but then again you really can't predict that so you can you can't fault him on that uh the Tage Thompson goal um you know quite a bit of traffic in front and that was just a really good executed shot and also the two goals I I mean literally it could have been a 4-2 win 5-2 if Morgan Riley actually went through with that you know goal at the end but if it weren't for those two gaps by um you know travis Dermott giving that aaron puck over uh to tage thompson to finding jeff skinner again and then justin hall giving the puck up to russell stalin 
it, it would have been a different story. I mean, the numbers would have been better, but overall, like out of all those goals, you really can't fault him for any of them because they were all either as a result of a giveaway turnover or just, you know, a bad bounce and you can't fault him for that. So the fact that he was technically sound in that um, is a really great sign. Cause there were some concerns about, you know, how he's dealt with injuries, his numbers in the AHL technically weren't all that great, but you know what? AHL is AHL, the NHL is the NHL, and that's what matters right now. So the fact that he had his first game under his belt, a really, you know, solid performance all around, I think it's going to be good for him. And I think it's going to go, he's going to have that confidence going forward. And the Maple Leafs have that confidence in him that they know they have a, a possible capable backup to rely on right now. Alex, I know you were a big uh, advocate for getting Shalgren in there for, for a start. And um, I was right there with you, like hand in hand, I would have loved to see Shalgren get that start, but um, you know, Joseph Wall got the, got the uh, start. He played pretty well. Um, you know, had, had a few moments where, you know, maybe over overly mechanical, like I mentioned, what, what were your takeaways from, from his uh, first NHL start? Yeah. I mean, like Peter said earlier, he's his tenure in the AHL has been kind of up and down. So based on what what he's had to deal with in the AHL, he's kind of had the uh, the drawback of having a shitty Marley's defense in front of him. I know they've been they, they've kind of come back down to earth over the past couple of years, and um, so I, I honestly I don't think there's too much to complain about from Wall's game on Saturday. I mean, uh, you you do make a good point, Andrew, saying that his. Uh, he he almost looked a little too mechanically sound, but at the same time, I think you can just chalk that up to first game nerves. I mean, he probably didn't want to be caught out of position and stuff. And I'm sure that once he starts to play more NHL games, he'll probably develop the confidence to be able to make a diving stop across the crease or something like that. But overall, I, there's not really much else I can say about wall that you guys haven't said already. I think he looked, I think he looked fine for a first game. He got the win. Maybe, maybe, Maybe deserves a little better, but at the same time, I mean, he got the win in his debut and the guys were all happy for him. Side note, I think him and Jack Campbell has potential to be the nicest goaltending tandem in the league as it stands yeah. right now. Um, they were uh, obviously, they're, they're obviously uh, super supportive of each other. So, uh, yeah, I think it was, uh, I, I, I think he had a solid start, all things considered, for his first game and uh, happy he got the win. Yeah, I'm feeling a Red Lobster date in their future. Uh, I, you know, I, I'll take along as well. Heck, I'll I'll pay for the bill if you want me to. But um, no, I think it was Kevin McGran who who uh, wrote an article about uh, you know Joseph Wall has done something that not many NHLers have. Uh, he was developed by the Toronto Maple Leafs, and I thought that was a very uh, interesting, but. You know, it, it was right. I mean, the Toronto Maple Leafs have not developed goaltending in, in a very, very long time. And Joseph Wall and, uh, you know, Shalgren could be the first two that they've done in, in, in quite some time. So it'll be interesting to see how, how Wall, um, you know, works out. Uh, hopefully, you know, for the best that he he's able to kind of get those mechanical I just, my, my, my big thing with the mechanics was just when he was going post to post, it was almost like, you know how you see goaltenders warming up and they go kind of go back and forth in their crease from post to post. That's what it looked like. And I would like to see a little bit more looseness to him, but I I agree with you, Alex. I think that comes down to, you know, first game jitters. You're trying to make 
everything look exactly like you, you know, you're ready to stop the puck. You're, you're covering the net, but um, yeah, I, I mean, I didn't have an issue with it. I thought he played a, a good game, uh, earned the win, deserved the win. Uh, and the team kind of let him down on a couple goals, but um, guys, what we, we actually got a question this week from, from a listener and, and not named Kyle, which was, you know, pretty incredible. Are we sure I, about this? I, I we get you know, the listener to confirm. I looked and <laughs> his, his username is Aaron's Nick. So I'm going to assume, and I know assuming does not go over well a lot of times, but I'm going to assume his name is Nick. So yeah. let's hope his name is Nick. Um, so. But he, Kyles. yeah, we've had, a, we've had a few Kyles on this show. <laughs> no disrespect to the Kyles that listen. <laughs> Just got, we got to keep it fresh, you know? But uh, he, he was asking, uh, and we talked a little bit about this, but he said, not on Hall, but how long till Dubas makes a trade for a top four D-man? I guarantee he knows he needs, uh, needs one by now. Also, who do you think they could grab? So, uh, I mean, Alex, I'll throw it to you first. Do you think they make a move for, for a top four D-man? And if so, is there a guy that maybe they look around the league for? I think it all depends on what the market is. Um, and I think it all depends on where they're at come the trade deadline. Because I don't see the Leafs making a move for a top four defenseman anytime before then. Um, I think they're they're running with what they've got right now. And, you know, if they make any changes to their defensive core, I think it's going to be like we've been talking about a Justin Hall trade or a Travis Dermott trade. I don't think – and, you know – they, those guys could be in a package to acquire a better defenseman. But at the same time, I think it's probably more likely that they're, they're moved for the purpose of freeing up cap space to make a bigger move come the trade deadline. Um, and in terms of guys they could go after, I could sit here and rat, rattle off a couple names, but I honestly don't know. Um, I, I think it really all depends on what teams are in the race and what teams aren't. Cause like I said, I don't think if they do make a trade for a top four defenseman, I don't think it's going to be until the trade deadline. And, I think at that point, it all comes down to what teams are buying, what teams are selling. Um, and I think at that point, we'll have a better idea of which guys will be available and potentially which defensemen will be available and which defensemen will be available for the Leafs to trade for based on the assets they have. I don't know if Kyle Dubas would be too thrilled to have to move another first-round pick, especially if it results the same way. Well, I mean, not, not, not necessarily the trade, but if – the team result is the same as last year. I don't think the Leafs want to be moving a first round pick for another, another first round collapse. So um, yeah, I, 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 to shorten my answer, basically, I think we got to wait and see, but I think a move for a top four defenseman could certainly be in the cards down the stretch. Peter, um, your thoughts on whether or not they, they go after a top four defenseman. And I mean, you were all over the Kemper uh, Kemper possibility last season. So are 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 they looking for somebody around the league? And if so, who who is it? Yeah, um, I mean, for Alex's reasoning, hundred percent agree with him. In terms of players, yeah, um, my Kemper prediction basically went down the drain completely. Um, but it, it kind of made sense for the Maple Leafs last year. Um, as for a player, I'm I've always been coming back to him, and I think maybe there was some talks about him early on maybe when he was with the Vegas Golden Knights and that's Colin Miller on the Buffalo Sabres. That's one name that I've always been intrigued to. And it's not because he played for the Sioux Marie Greyhounds. <laughs> um, 
And I, I do think that he, he's a perfect fit for them, given the fact that he is a right-handed shot, good size, good mobility, and someone that could probably complement that of Jake Muzzin. And already eight points in 14 games. I mean, and the reason why I'm thinking Buffalo Sabres is going to be a good target, because, yeah, they're having early season success, but are they a playoff team? No. I, I think reality is going to set in that they're going to try and get more assets in return. Now, if it's going to be involving a first-round pick, I don't know if do if that's going to be too rich for Dubas, but they do have a quite a bit of prospects in the prospect pool that maybe they would be willing to part ways with. I mean, we heard last year that Dubas wouldn't hesitate to trade one of his top prospects. Are you going to trade a Rodion Amirov or Nick Robertson or Topi Nimela, for that matter, for a Colin Miller? Probably not, but you have quality names in the system still, like a Mikhail Abramov, like a Nick Abruzzese, um, who are have potentials to be, you know, mid, mid-tier kind of prospects that, that have a good development track in there that I think maybe the Maple Leafs can part with. I mean, and that's a good thing, is if they don't have the picks, they may have the prospects. So I think, I, I, I think that maybe... If that's the direction that they're going and if that's the player that they have in mind, that's who I'm keeping my eye on. Also, I think they go after Colin Miller because every player wants out of Buffalo right now. So um, that'd be a good reason as well. <laughs> uh, fair enough. <laughs> no, I'm, uh, I'm kidding. But um, anything you guys wanted to add to, to Maple Leafs talk there? I know we kind of went on, went on for a while there, but uh, anything you guys wanted to add? No, honestly, if I was going to add something, I, it was going to be uh, giving a little shout out to Alex Kerfoot, but we already talked about him. So, uh, yeah, I've got an article coming out over the next couple of days on how he's sort of embracing his new, uh, well, not his new role, I guess, but he's embracing the role of the utility guy this year. And, I, you know, the one thing that there is, I think there is to say about Kerfoot that I, I, I meant to say earlier is that if anything, you can't deny that the guy knows how to step up his game when a star goes down. And I think he's done a very good job in that role for the Leafs. And I, I, I like that we're, I like that they're kind of reaping the rewards of it this year. So, Yeah, no, I, I think, too, like he plays kind of that same game as Kadri played where he's a little bit of a pest on the ice, but he doesn't do it so publicly like Kadri did. And very I, subtle. Uh, yeah, very subtle. And I love that. I love that about Kerfoot. So you can throw that in your article as well there, Alex. Uh, yeah. You don't, you don't have do. to quote me. It's all right. Oh, I'll quote you. Don't worry. Credit where credit's due. <laughs> um boys it's kind of it's kind of fitting that we're doing episode 61 and and the columbus blue jackets retired uh uh, i'm gonna say steve nash rick (laughs) rick nash is number 61 (laughs) oh man mark shag better not have heard that yeah hey rick nash Former London Knight guys. Former London go. did never play at the Bud Gardens though. He played at the Ice House, which was like this old shit barn that like was a cr- <laughs> just off the 401, right beside the Costco. So, um, yeah, Columbus Blue Jackets retired. Rick Nash's number sixty-one. I just want to get your thoughts on it real quick. Like Rick Nash was a was an incredible player. Um, what he did for that Columbus franchise was was really telling. Um, in terms of what he what he was like as a player, but worth retiring as as a number. And I know we kind of touched on this last week in terms of retiring the number thirty two in Seattle. Uh, but uh, Peter, what are your thoughts on retiring number sixty one for uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets? 
I mean, he's been a huge part of that organization. And, you know, ever since they came into the league, he's been a major part of that team, major offensive dynamo. I mean, 289 goals, 547 points in 674 games. Um, just an, you can't say anything bad about him because he put his heart out and he was a major difference maker every single time he was on the ice. I mean, all-time goals leader, all-time points leader, most goals in a season. Um, obviously, uh, Cam Atkinson tied that record in 2018-19. But it, it's, I mean, if there was one player that you had to retire, it was going to be Rick Nash based on everything that he's done and what he's meant to that organization. So kudos to him. I'm, I was kind of sad that, you know, his career took a major downturn towards the end with the New York Rangers and Boston Bruins because I thought he had, I mean, if, if everything went well, I thought maybe he still would have been that, you know, 35, 40 goal score, 60 point guy that would have been a major threat every single time he was on the ice. But you know what? Fantastic career really deserves it. Yeah. Alex, uh, as uh, Peter mentioned, number one in games played for Columbus, number one in goals, number one in points. Um, He's obviously a guy that, uh, you know, over a thousand games played a thousand sixty games played regular season, 805 points over his career. Uh, 41 goals in 20, 2003, 2004, uh, just his second year in the league and another 40 goal season in 2008, 2009. Um, you know, is, is this guy, you know, worth retiring the number, uh, was won the rocket Richard in 0304 as well. So, um, worth hanging, hanging that banner up in Columbus. Put it this way. Rick Nash is the only reason I knew the Columbus Blue Jackets existed between like 2005 and 2010. Um, I remember watching him play in the limited times the Leafs would play the Blue Jackets and thinking that he, I wanted him on the Leafs so badly. He was, you know, had brought so many aspects to his game. Great goal scorer, great for the community in Columbus. Uh, obviously a Toronto-born boy, which kind of, kind of adds to uh, um, the desire to have a guy like that play for the Leafs. And, you know, when you, when you make that much of an impact on your community and – you're also the leader in games played and goals. I, I don't think the Jackets had a choice but to retire his number. And not that they ever would have wanted to make a choice. I think they probably wanted to ever since the beginning. But, um, yeah, uh, just such a great player overall. And one thing I want to point out about Nash, too, he owns what is, in my opinion, I, I don't know if I'd go as far as to say it's my favorite, but one of one of my personal favorite goals all time. That goal against Arizona – Back in the day, oh, yeah. you guys know the one I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Where he yep. gipsy doodles the two, the four, then the defenseman, and then the other defenseman, and he crosses in front and he puts it in. It was just, I remember that was the first Rick Nash highlight I ever watched, and I was, I was like, wow, I want this guy on my team. So yeah, great mm-hmm. career for him, obviously, and I'm glad to see his jersey get retired. Yeah, I, I was kind of egging you guys on for like uh, one of you to disagree, but I, I couldn't agree with you more. <laughs> I think Columbus, Columbus nah. was on the map. Um, and, and I think I think our fellow uh, hockey writers uh, writer Mark Shag would would agree. I think Columbus was put on the map because of Rick Nash. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it it really is unfortunate that he went out the way that he did. Um, you know, I th- I'm I'm sure that he would have loved to play a few more years in the league and and you know maybe top that thousand part thousand point mark. Um, but you know he he did what he could when he with 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 what he had and in thousand over a thousand games is in, is an accomplishment. He was like I mentioned, he was a 
a Rocket Richard Trophy winner. Um, he won the uh, NHL Foundation Player Award in 2008, 2009 as well. So a guy who obviously added a few uh, individual accomplishments to his resume and, and, and really deserving of, of this, uh, this celebration of, of, of what he did in his career with the Columbus Blue Jackets. So congratulations to Rick Nash and, and uh, hopefully this is a great moment for him and, and for the organization itself. Um, I, before we get to uh, Carey Price, I do want to talk about uh, Ovi as always, I think Ovi Watch is going to be part of this uh, part of this show for the next, you know, four or five years, anyways. But um, yeah, Alexander Ovechkin, seven hundred forty-two goals, now past Brett Hall for fourth all-time on the NHL's all-time scoring list. He sits just one fifty-two back of Wayne Gretzky's all-time record. Um, just incredible what he's doing. Uh, I don't. I don't really know if we can add much more to what we said last week. I think we talked about how he was superhuman and all this shit. But um, yeah, he's he's done an incredible job this year, points wise, uh, goal wise. Um, did you guys want to add anything to that? I will say, uh, Dmitry Filipovich had a great tweet um, about his assist on Garnet Hathaway's goal on Sunday night, where he said he's even faked me out with that pass. So it's like goes to show Ovi's not just a goal scorer. He's a, he can dish the puck too, which we all know by now. So uh, yeah, nothing else to say. Just wanted to put that mm-hmm. out there. Peter, anything to add to that? He already has 12 goals of the season. 24 away from Yarmir Yager, 24 behind him. You, he's easily going to get 24 goals. That automatically makes it 36 this year. I think he's in for a big season goal-wise. He's on pace for 78. I don't think he's going to get that, but maybe if he gets to 45, that's going to put a major dent in this season to get the third overall, but also to close in on Gordie Howe, who's next in line. I think he, I say he gets the third overall and is already on the path to go down for Gordie Howe. So... Yeah, I, I, again, 24 goals remaining, plus add another 10. It's going to be nothing for him. I'll, I'll say this. Um, 26 points in 15 games this year. Uh, just, like, absolutely unreal. I mean, he's almost averaging two points per game. Uh, but what struck me was his uh, video that he sent to Matvey Michkov, um, just, you know, mm-hmm. congratulating him on being part of the Russian, uh, world junior team. And, um, I mean, this guy's just a class act, like party with the cup. He's going to be, he will be the all-time goal scorer in, in the NHL, um, and, and still just a stand-up, stand-up guy. So, um, super human and super great and can't, can't wait for the grade eight to, to break that record and, and witness history. Uh, hopefully sticks in the six will be there when it all goes down. Um, with the gray beard. That's right. That's no, right. That's just... I, I, I'm kidding. That was, that was rude. That'll be within the next like five years. He does. Hey, that. It's, it's, have a gray beard by it's then. gone. It's gone. The red goes a little faster boys. <laughs> I was just about to say, let's just hope that goal 895 is not against the Maple Leafs. Oh, I kind of hope I kind of hope it happens in Toronto and I'm there. <laughs> Actually, yeah, it, w- it would be nice to see. I got I got an Ovechkin Winter Classic jersey in my in my closet. I'll I'll wear that to the Leaf game. We'll see how that goes. There you go. Um, McDavid versus Torts. 
uh, torts, just being torts, you know, um, Peter, you want to, you want to touch on this subject about how, you know, torts is telling McDavid to just shut up and play his game. I, I I'm going to keep this simple and keep it short. Cause like, come on, you're going to tell the best player in the game to just shut up and play the game. No, no. And, and this is why torts isn't a coach anymore right now, because comments like this he's just so out of touch and this is why maybe he's not relating to the younger generation he can't understand the fact that at this is exciting hockey and the fact that he says that he needs to change his game to win the stanley cup has he not seen mcdavid play ever since he came into this league this is a guy who goes out to win every single game. This is even in the playoffs when the Oilers make it. He goes out and lays it on the line. It's not like he's just flying by or just doing whatever. He's doing everything he can to win. I mean, if you want a perfect example, that goal against the New York Rangers, that 1v4. I mean, was that not a desire to win? No, nah, Kampf was better. <laughs> oh, yeah. How, 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 how can I forget that? But, yeah, I mean... Like I, Alex, you got anything? <laughs> no, nothing. I, you know, there. You know, there was a part of me that at first tried to like understand where Torts was coming from and think like, okay, this guy, like Connor McDavid, we all saw how he got treated in the playoffs last year and how there was just no calls going in his favor. There were so many missed calls on him. But in the end, I mean you don't tell the best player in the world by a large margin to shut up, especially when you're an unemployed coach. I'm sorry, yeah. but like Connor McDavid is not going to Connor McDavid's not turning into Tom Wilson in the playoffs. I'm sorry. That's not going to happen. Just because Tortorella said so. Yeah. Hey, Pele, shut up. Oh, I'm, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. I was going to go LeBron <laughs> James. I was going to go LeBron James, but I feel like he'd tweet at me if I said something. So I, I figured I just <laughs> keep my mouth shut uh all right uh as always it seems like every episode we have you know something tough to touch on and and guys i want to talk about carry price for just a moment before we close out this episode because um as we mentioned in in the uh season preview he he went into the uh the player substance uh assistance program um and it's come out that he, you know, he did suffer from substance abuse and uh, he was the one who kind of reported it himself. And to be honest, you know, I, I was kind of defending him on Twitter saying that he doesn't owe us anything and he doesn't, he, mm-hmm. what, what he's going through is between him and his family and, and his loved ones. And, and, you know, the rest of us are just, you know, we're on the outside. We, whatever he's going through doesn't matter. Um, but he decided to share that he was, you know, had some substance abuse over the last couple of years. He's been struggling over the last couple of years. And um, I've always said that Carey Price is one of the most respected players in this, in this league. And he's one guy that as a Leaf fan, you know, we hate Montreal, but he's one guy that I would, I would hang his Jersey up on my wall uh, because I just, I, I have a lot of respect for the way that he is one with the media, but two with how he, how he performs and how he, how he, carries himself um for me it's it, it i don't mind I, I love that he was open uh, i think that it, it really opens a door to the conversation and and you know obviously with what's been going on with the league and with hockey culture over the last little bit um uh, you know mental health is a is a big talking point but alex i'm going to start with you i think 
what are your thoughts on, on Carey Price's conversation that he's kind of opened the door to and, and, you know, him kind of revealing the demons that he's been, he's been battling over the last couple of seasons. You know what? It was so unbelievably courageous for him to do that. And I think the fact that he came out and did that is going to be such, I won't call it an inspiration, but it's going to be such a crucial thing for people who are battling substance abuse issues and feel like they can't be upfront about what they're going through. Because when you look at a guy like Carey Price, and I said this when he took the liberty to check into the, uh, check into the, uh, the assistance program initially, like a month ago, um, Carey Price is a guy who on the forefront Look at him. I mean, he's making he's making ten million dollars or whatever it is. He's got a wife. He's got kids. He's playing. He's he's making a living and a good one at that. Playing the game of hockey, doing something that all kids dream of. So on the forefront, this guy looks like he's got the perfect life, and even he has the ability to admit that he has his own struggles. And I think when people who are battling and feel like they can't speak up see a guy like Carey Price admit that he he has his own struggles and he's been going through things and he needs to work on himself. I think that's going to set such a great precedent for people who are uh, going through similar issues. So yeah, nothing but good things to say about Carey Price. And I truly hope that he comes out victorious um, in the end and gets back to uh, playing the game that we all love. So uh, yeah, nothing but respect for him. Here, any, any thoughts on Carey Price? Um, I mean, that was beautifully said, Alex. Um, I mean, yeah, courageous. Um, it shows his true character and strength as an individual to come out and say exactly what was going on. And, and when he checked himself in, everyone was just like, oh, why is he doing this and everything like that? Um, you know, he, he doesn't need the help and stuff like that. Like there were a lot of like really ignorant comments online. Um, I mean, this is a guy who carried basically the Montreal Canadiens to the cup final and basically people in the fan base were basically saying, well, what's the issue? You know, we want an explanation. And like you said, Andrew, he doesn't know anybody an explanation. It's his own personal matter. It's something that he wanted to deal with. And the fact that he got the help that he needed, he came out and he shed light on his, current situation i think it's something that we should all aspire to be like don't be afraid to you know say that something is wrong because hey there's a support system out there that's always looking out for you and people in your you know in your family your friends your support groups anything else there's always someone to talk to someone to you know be a guiding light for you and the fact that you know he felt out that he was at a point where he needed more 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 assistance in that regard I, I it just shows his true character it just shows that you know his strength and, and his resilience and I really do think that you know like Alex said this is going to open up a door for a lot of players and a lot of people who look up to Carey Price as a role model because it shows that he's a human being just like all of us yeah he has you know he's an athlete he has you know the big check he has the accolades to his name all that's irrelevant when, you know, you don't put your health and your well-being first. And I'm glad that he did that because he's just as important as, you know, let's say his contract, um, the game of hockey itself, because he is, I mean, yeah, that's, that's just basically where I stand at this point. Yeah. I think a lot of the ignorance 
comes from fear. Um, and that's the way that I've always seen it. Uh, I'm, I'm a guy that, um, you know, I, I, in the, in the past, I've struggled with my own mental health, um, with my son being in the, in the hospital in his, in his first week of, of being alive. Um, to this day, I, I'll, I'll tell you that I, I struggled with PTSD following, you know, bringing him home and I had night terrors. I've never had night terrors in my life. Um, and, and the, the experiences that I had after that were just, um, something I, I can't even, I can't even describe because it was, it was something that, um, you know, I, would never wish upon anybody. Um, and, and, and it is tough. Um, you know, um, uh, my wife and I had two miscarriages prior to Oakley being, being born. And, and, uh, there was a point where after the second one, I, I, you know, dabbled a little bit more in, in, um, you know, having a, having an extra drink just to get by. And it was, you know, it, it's something that uh, a lot of people aren't willing to talk about because it is such a fragile subject. You don't want to, you don't want to say the wrong things. And, and some people don't want to admit to having those kind of experiences. And um, the ignorance comes from fear. Uh, I, I will always stand by that. I, I truly believe that people that aren't willing to learn or aren't willing to admit that they have their own mental health issues um, will always have something rude or, or um, maybe misunderstood uh, perception of what, what mental health is all about. Um, but I, I, I'll, I'll be the first one to commend Carey Price for doing what he needed to do. Family comes first. Uh, at the end of the day, hockey's a game. Uh, if we never see Carey Price play another game in the NHL, uh, I'd be okay with that so long as he's okay mentally, uh, so long as his family's okay, and so long as his his kids have their dad. Uh, that's that's the most important point. And uh, beyond that, you know, like I said, hockey's a game. It's it's not going anywhere. Uh, the the fact is, we got to make sure that the people that are playing it are are mentally mentally able to to get by on a daily basis, and that's that's what matters most. So. Um, there, there's my two cents. Uh, but aside from that, boys, um, as always coming out of coming out of these things is always tough, but is there anything else you guys wanted to add to episode 61 before we close it out? Oh, that's right. Yep. Sorry, <laughs> Alex. <laughs> so for anybody who's been following Alex on Twitter, they, uh, they would know that, um, he has yet to pull a Toronto Maple Leaf card from the Tim Hortons packs. Uh, so prior to the show, he went out and he got himself a coffee, got himself a pack of cards. And we should note that he did give away a pack of cards to his brother. It had a Tim Horton Toronto Maple Leaf card in the pack. Oh, so, man. Uh, very I, I, I literally came home. <laughs> My brother texts me, he's like, because he knows every time I make the commute from, from Niagara to, to Kitchener, he knows that I'm going to be stopping at Timmy's. So naturally he texts me, he's like, hey, grab me a pack of cards. And I'm like, all right. So I, I pick up two packs of cards and I give him one of them. And he gets Tim Horton. I'm still without a leaf. I think, hold on, I got the picture here of who I pulled. Um, I ended up with Jack Hughes, Dylan Larkin, and Dominic Kubalik. Uh, whatever whatever you want to call them so 
Um, yeah, it, it, it's been a tough go for me. And I here just to give you guys a visual aid and anybody who happens to be watching, struggle is real. This is my stack as it stands, without a leaf. <laughs> and there's still like I, I've probably got like like twelve cards that aren't part of the stack. They're just scattered in my car and on my dresser and stuff, just because. Like, not a single leaf has been pulled yet. And, you know, just like he kind of teed up there, Forbes, we, we, we tend to record pretty late on Sunday, Sunday nights. Timestamp right now, it's 1.34 in the morning. So, usually when we record, I got to get myself a coffee. And I, you know, I, I normally will have coffee here to make, but tonight I didn't. And just to shed light on what this, what this pack opening here means to me. I went to the Timmy's around the corner. Supposed to be open 24 hours. It was not open. So I'm starting to panic because we got to start recording soon. I'm like, I, I got to get a coffee into me. And I drive all the way down, a probably like 10-minute drive away from my house to go to this Timmy, the closest Timmy's that was open. And got myself a coffee, got myself a pack of cards, and I just thought to myself, the dedication to getting this pack, I'm going to open it live on the podcast, and it is going to be the one. So I've got this pack right here. One three for three, baby. Let's go. I'm just, <laughs> I am just, it's got to happen eventually, right? Does it not have to happen it eventually? You'll, like, you'll have to call these, call these cards out for our listeners just before in case you do, we don't post the video. Before you do, fun fact, before anything, I haven't gotten a single pack, but watch me get a maple leaf before you will. Alex does. I guarantee you will. <laughs> I've got, I, I've got probably... Four Jack Eichels in a Buffalo prob- uniform. Yeah, I've got I've got probably like six Buffalo players. I've got like seven Detroit players. I've got a bunch of Avalanche and Lightning players too, but no Leafs yet. So here we go. Drum roll. Dr- drum roll. Yeah. Eight. So, lo and behold, another Jack Hughes. That was literally <laughs> pulled him in the last card, <laughs> last pack I opened, man. <laughs> so there's Jack Hughes. There's number one. Number two. Tim Stutzel. <laughs> I haven't looked at this last card yet. <laughs> Come on, Mitch Marner. Nope. <laughs> the disappointment is real. Uh, I pulled Christian fucking Dvorak. <laughs> Not even in the right uniform. Jack Hughes. <laughs> Christian oh Dvorak God. in a Coyotes uniform, and oh. I will admit this Tim Stutzel card is pretty cool, but I, 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 I'm just, no, hey. I'm never pulling a leaf. I thought that was the one. <laughs> I had least... a feeling I drove 10 minutes out of my way to get this pack before we started recording. Oh I my told God. myself I was going to open it live on the pod, and I didn't get it. At least it a... at least it's a Kachina uh, outfit for, uh, for Christian That's Dvorak. True. That's true. <laughs> yeah. At least, yeah, yeah. That's I, I'm really, I'm really feeling much better about that now. Thanks. We should oh, really just, make. Look at this. Look at this. Look at all these fucking cards and not a single leaf in there. We should like, make a bad luck Brian meme, but instead uh, of like, just have Alex's face. Alex, at Alex's face on there, and it's just like gets Tim cards, no leafs. Oh yep. shit! I'm, I think, I think I'm honestly at the. I am honestly at the point. Where I don't think I'm going to pull a single leaf all year. Complain I, I, I'm losing. I'm losing hope so quickly, boys. Hey, that's, like I, that's what you get for living in the Niagara region. All the Buffalo fans. <laughs> Literally, I think giving away that oh, card. That, I think giving away that pack that had the Tim Horton card in there. Oh. Um, 
was like the TSN turning point of me <laughs> never, ever getting, mm-hmm. ever, ever yep. getting a leaf. I think oh, me giving shit. it away, having it in my hand and giving it to my brother was, was the, the straw that broke the camel's back. So, oh, God, yeah, I mean, dude, whatever. Guess I'm going to bed upset again. <laughs> All right. I think we should end it off right here so Alex can go and rage. And I was going to say, in his Peter, sleep. Peter, anything <laughs> you wanted to add before we close out the show here? No, it's just, Alex, I, w- I would give you a big hug if I could right now to help ease your pain. That is it. Thanks, Peter. I appreciate it. <laughs> Alex, anything you had to say before we close it out? Do I look like I have anything to say? <laughs> Starbucks would probably already, be doing this stuff right uh, now. You'd have better luck with Starbucks. I was going to say, I think you got to call the head office at Tim's and just say, what the hell is up with the leaves guard? I will. <laughs> I will sit down. I will get the, I will get Tim's head office on the phone and I will sit down and read off every single player I've gotten. That's not a Toronto Maple Leaf. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's, it's like I, the people that, that call in, Hey, I uh, bought a bo- box of 50 uh, Kleenexes and I only got 48. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trying to be a Karen here, man, but all I'm saying is a man's got to have a leaf at some point. <laughs> yeah. At some point. Just one. Oh, gentlemen, Just... gentlemen, gentlemen. Oh, boy. Another wonderful week here at Sticks in the Six. And a big shout out to uh, um, Ryan Zeus Fleming for the new intro. Uh, yes. Just fantastic Zeus. shit, guys. Fantastic yeah. shit. Beautiful. Yeah, great to add to the show, and, and we appreciate all the support. Um, as always, guys, uh, thank you for listening to episode 61 of the podcast. Uh, you can follow Peter on Twitter at pbarracchini. You can follow myself at Andrew G. Forbes or Alex at A. Hobson Media. Follow the podcast at Sticks in the Six Pod. That's S-T-I-X-I-N-T-H-E-6-I-X-P-O-D. Or head over to Spotify, iTunes, or Hell. Head over to Portugal where we're top 10 Um, and make sure you download and listen to our show. Uh, Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Hit us up on YouTube. We got a lot of great content. Maybe we'll have Alex's disappointment over there at some point as well. Um, Be sure to review if you can. Um, Other than that, boys, until next week, episode 62, we'll see you all again in just a week's time. Yep.